what is a music producer really? And what's the difference between, let's say, a hip-hop producer and a producer who makes electronic music or a producer who makes rock music? What are some of the common things that maybe a music producer gets into that may not be very good for the artist? Or maybe what's a thing that an artist does with a producer that may not be very good for their career? Today, in this episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking to a very cool producer named Yeti. Yeti has got some great tracks. I really want you to go check it out. We're going to put all of his links in the description of the video. And we're going to talk to Yeti about all kinds of great stuff in this episode. Thanks to Avoid, his perspective of being a producer and an engineer, how to navigate that responsibly, and also how to make sure the artist that you work with as a producer understands the limitations of a lease, a non-exclusive license, and an exclusive license, and what may be the best option for people depending on where they're at in their career when they do want to lease or license a beat from a producer. Before we get into the interview section, I just wanted to say, don't forget to pick up my book. It's the Music Productivity System. It is the Modern Artist and Songwriter Journal and Toolkit. I picked the longest name ever, and uh, I do regret that a little bit, but it's okay. You can get it for free at musicadvice.io, as always. And don't forget to check out the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Blake Makes Music, where you can get exclusive videos, episodes. You can recommend that I react to certain videos, music videos. You can ask me for feedback on tracks. You can get my music, all of the exclusive stuff that's on there in demo form, good, bad, and ugly, as well as get music career advice from me, exclusive videos. You can get music industry contacts, lessons, cheat sheets, start guides, a whole process. It basically takes the concept of the book and gives you all of these extra great tools. So if you're thinking about doing the music career advice, it's here within the Patreon. Check out the book first. I promise you're going to like it. They just send your email. It'll send you a download right away. And if you're into it, definitely subscribe to the Patreon. So anyways, without further ado, let's go ahead and get the episode started. Make music every day. This podcast is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is the best place to put your music on all streaming platforms. Get paid when people listen to your music and develop a fan base by getting your music on all of the right places easy. DistroKid delivers to over 150 streaming services around the world and counting. Keep 100% of your earnings. DistroKid takes nothing from your royalties. With features like automatic payments to collaborators, legal cover song licenses, music video generators, and EPKs for every single release, DistroKid is the only distributor recommended by Blake Makes Music. Fast, easy, and cheap, DistroKid only costs $20 per year for unlimited singles, EPs, or albums. For a VIP discount of 7% off your first year, go to musicadvice.io. So what's up, man? How are you? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Dude, thanks for doing this. So I'm super excited to talk to you. You've been talking a little bit over the last couple of weeks about doing an episode and I think it was cool. We met on Twitter, which is cool. But what I'd like to do is, if you wouldn't mind, just like telling the audience a little bit about your... For sure. First off, thanks again for having me. I'm really happy to be here. This is great. And yeah, my name is Aiden, but I go by Prod Yeti, or just most people call me Yeti. I'm a producer and music recording engineer from New Hampshire. And uh, yeah, man, I've been making music for about four years now. Did you start doing engineering or producing first? Producing. And then... About a year in, I started dabbling with engineering. 
And what made you want to also do engineering as a producer? It just happened naturally. Like when I was, so I'm 22 now, when I was 18, I started dabbling with FL Studio and screwing around with default sound beats and stuff. And along the way, I had friends that wanted to be artists at the time. And a lot of them, I just ended up recording, even though I didn't really know what I was doing then. It just it was like the rep work. So that kind of just happened after. And what about producing Treat? Because there's so many different things you can do if you're into music. Like you were saying, being an artist or a producer or songwriter, there's a lot of different yeah. creative tracks. Absolutely. So I just love being heavily involved in something that I'm in charge of. Before this, I was planning to be, I was enrolled to be in Fitchburg State for computer science and game programming. And I started realizing that I like being a big part of an operation and being in control of more than one person out of 2,000 people. When I started, I discovered FL Studio. I bought it at Guitar Center. And I just, I liked the idea of being in control of an entire project and being able to start something, start to finish in a shorter period of time. And I ended up just walking away from my degree and learning music instead. So you left college. I never showed not, up. Did you just saw, you never showed up. Okay. Hey, at least you don't got to worry about any loans. So that's cool. Yeah. That's a big up. <laughs> yeah, man. Okay, cool. So would you talk a little bit about, we talked a little bit about hip hop, but could you describe your- So yeah, it's, that's a good point. So it is mostly hip hop, but versatile. One of my big things I like to specialize in is making all the drops and every part of a song arrangement very unique. Hit people one after another with surprise drops and- if you listen to them, you get an idea for that. I tend to, when I'm just doing things because, I tend to gravitate towards a darker underground sound, but I can really do anything if they ask me. Gotcha. Okay. And so walk us through your very first time working with an artist. Were you making beats or were you working with an artist, structuring out music with them? It's a good question. It was a blend. I started working with, there was this music event called Sound of Vice with Kato on the track. And he did this tour where it was like networking events. And this was my first time going to an event and I started, everyone was shaking hands and exchanging Instagram and everything. And there was actually one artist that I stayed in touch with that is as of now, like my main artist, we work very closely. His name is a University 6-1, shout out University from Boston. But what ended up happening was we had planned a link and I started making a beat ahead of time. And when he got there, it was like half done. And we just, I worked on it while they, him and his friend that he brought wrote lyrics and they just jumped in and we recorded, mixed and mastered it to the end. And at that point, were you already getting into the engineering side? Yeah. So like I had here and there like friends and stuff, but I really don't consider that my official first session because those people that I used to be hanging out with, they didn't really take it that seriously. And before that point, before you worked with an artist, how many beats did it take you to get to that point? Like on a confidence level? Ooh, how many beats um, do you think you work through? If you can give me a guess. You mean start to finish or just? Yeah, completed. Just completed. God, I'd say 60, maybe 80. Okay. So like a pretty decent size catalog at that point. Yeah. 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 And at the beginning, like what was your, what was like your workflow? Like, were you making beats every day? Were you like spending a lot of time learning at the same time? Walk us through your beginning process. Yeah. So a lot of the beginning, like if you look back at my catalog, some of those I'm sure are still up. They're very cookie cutter. Like they had their little glimpse of what my style was going to become, but a lot of them were just 
repetition. But if you listen to them, there's, I did put out like two to three every day. And back then when I was learning, it was more about the repetition and the quantity while I figured stuff out. But there's a huge evolution over those like three years. And did you learn something early on to give you that mindset? Because usually it takes people quite a bit of time to figure that out. Would elaborate, please? Yeah, sorry. In terms of being able to like, like learning by outputting a lot of music, like getting efficient. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. I guess like I didn't really have a whole lot of music knowledge whatsoever when I started, but uh, doing it at the time, I felt having so much time to do that, given that I wasn't planning on going to college anymore, gave me a lot of time to practice that and uh, putting out two to three beats a day sped up that process for me. Yeah. Did you think about that? Like consciously, like when you went in to do that? Or was it just something you just like, hey, look, I like making beats. I've got all of these beats. I'm going to just keep doing it because I love it. Or did you think about in order to get better, I should be cranking out music? I didn't really actually think of it that seriously at the time, to be honest. I, looking back, I didn't have enough experience to say for sure that I would make it in music, but I did it anyways. It was a risk. At the time, I was working as a computer repair at Best Buy full time. And I'm Geek Squad, Geek Squad man. Yeah, that was an okay job. And I already had computer experience. So that kind of made me really quick with the hotkeys and all the shortcuts, which is why I'm also quick with that. That's cool, man. So let's do this. Going a little bit further into your career now, right? So you've been doing this for four years. What is it like working with you now? Okay, so yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. I guess there's all approaches. So with artists that are just coming to simply record, I like to give them a heads up, be like, hey, to get the most out of your studio time, bring, be prepared, bring your lyrics. Sometimes people even like to write their ad libs down on their lyrics. They, I, ha I have them send me the beat in advance. Obviously, you got to know what beat you're going to record to before that to me. Yeah, if they're a new artist, I get a feel for them. And then we just jump into it. We record first. I'm the coaching type with an engineer, with my engineering. So when we're tracking, I ask people sometimes to humor me and do it again. Even if they think it was great, I'm like, try just, just humor me, try it again. It'll only take a sec. The worst case, it's like you use the one before. Work through all that stuff and they jump out. I do the edits and the rough mix. Then sometimes we might take a break and chat for a second and go back and finish the song. Gotcha. And you're mainly working with vocalists, right? Yes. Yeah. Got In that perspective, being a producer and an engineer, how do you figure out the line where you're offering enough creative input to be a good engineer, but maybe it hasn't been discussed yet on you being a producer. So you don't want to like step too much into the creative territory because now you're talking about splits, rights, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you? You, you make a good point. So yeah, I try not to overcross a certain line with, with their creative process because my standards on what I think sounds good might not always line up and it just might be different, not better. So I try to look at it like that. And uh, sometimes I'll, that's why I like to talk to people first when I first meet them to get to know who they are as an artist. I read their energy. Sometimes I like to do prior research and listen to anything if they have it out already and understand really what they're supposed to sound like or what they have in the past. And that's, that gives me a taste of, okay, Maybe telling them to do this part again or to try this differently might be a little too much right now, at least where they are right now. So being able to also read the room yeah. Yeah, that's in important. a way. Yeah, for sure. And the reason I ask is because I've been a part of sessions like where I'm running them or I've got like when I first started out, like interning at a studio is like my favorite thing where it was a band 
and the guitar player would always try to like input arrangement, songwriting, lyric changes, all that kind of stuff. And you could tell it was like a, <laughs> a, a percentage grab, which is a skeezy thing to do, like in that context. Like intentionally, um, you mean? Yeah, intentionally just to get ownership of something when they were basically it was like a solo artist that had a working band. So she paid the, and it was a, unless it's agreed upon that the creative input is okay, it's difficult to navigate that. I just remember the engineer and I, like the engineer was super uncomfortable and I was in the background, like looking at my phone, like, how is this <laughs> going to play out? Cause you're not yeah. going to talk anyways. Yeah. You're the intern, you're the fly on the wall, yeah. you know, but uh, I always think it's, and I definitely want to talk more about the producing side too, which is a good segue into this, but I always found it very helpful to always have a pre-production meeting on how people like to record, how they like to write and things like that. Because a lot of people who write, like you're talking about ad-libs, a lot of people go into the studio and they don't really know what they're going to do. They'll lean in on a producer or engineer. Sometimes they only need an engineer. It really depends on... Yeah, the context of that specific artist. But that's to me, that's where the line between engineer and producer and beat maker nowadays really gets blurred because you can make beats all day, but you're not always contributing to the production of the yeah, song as a whole. So it, it depends on each scenario, how you handle it professionally, in my opinion. But let's talk about your producing with an artist there's so many different ways to you can collaborate online you can do this in person you can engineer mm. and produce at the same time but yeah. tell us about like that side of your process working with an artist production so when you say production do you mean the beat the mixing yeah and however you how yeah however you work because mixing and mastering if that's a, if it's creative that could be and then the production lane but mostly that's in the engineer lane. Yeah. But let's say you have an artist, you're making beats. Is that as far as you go with the artist or do you also contribute on the songwriting too? That's a good question. I try not to change people's lyrics. Usually you just, I draw the line that like how I imagine maybe they say it because sometimes I imagine a way I can mix it. Like for example, there's an upcoming song with my homie University where there is, he repeats the hook at the end. It was my idea to do it in like a whispering fashion with call and response, a whispering mm -hmm. ad-libs bunch of stereoized stuff and he didn't really have that idea at all i had that idea because i wanted to add like a really heavy reverb and make it creepy kind of thing so things like that's about where i draw the line i don't like to interfere with people's like song structures and stuff gotcha okay so that's where you decide to blur the line is like that engineer to like making beats yeah sort of thing so wouldn't you, would you say as a producer though, like that also engineers that to some degree you are having an effect on the, what could or could not be the success of a song by controlling what takes could be used or how an artist sings something? Absolutely. I think all roles of the song are hugely important, if not equal, because a good vocalist, if they're not portrayed right with the right engineer and the right beat selection, it's not a hit. It just, it sounds amateur, even if the vocalist has amazing talent. So when you work with an artist that's using your beats, do you have the beat structured out like a song and then they fit to that? Or are you making it in the moment? Or do you have something where you're arranging, let's say someone, for example, has 16 bars as a verse, but your beat as is has eight. Do you just go into your DAW and just extend it out? Or like, how do you work on the, 
how do you work on adapting your beat to fit the moment? That's a really interesting question. So usually, so for starts, I have a good instinct of might sound right with the structure. I don't know why, like I have a good foresight of, oh, this is a good place to put a drop, a drop or like maybe switch this up here and there and all that. But when we're done writing the song or recording the song, excuse me, I leave my mind open to making changes because you really don't know what what might make the what the beat might tailor to better with the vocals until you hear what the vocals actually are afterwards. Mm. So I leave it open. Gotcha. And where would you let's say someone comes to you with a track and they are of the mindset that they want to be like into a pop type of a career path they want not pop music but it could be hip-hop it could be country it could be anything and they're coming to you with a track that they think is good but it's let's say the intro that they want to do is way too long to be like a single or it's it's a five minute track do you offer like where do you where would you draw that line on like initial feedback or do you just leave it as? So that's actually, that crosses into another interesting topic. I think we were going to get into about working for versus working with an artist. Yeah. So I guess it really depends on if I'm charging them or not. If it's a collaborative effort that really makes influences what I decide is okay and what's not okay to do for an artist. But let's say, like you said, for example, the too long of an intro. If I really believe that, I'll at the very least tell them, but I won't just tell them. I'll tell them also why. I'll be like, you, with this day and age, with people's attention span, the fact is you got to draw people's attention within 10, 15 seconds. Anywhere after that, it might get skipped. Yeah, maybe yeah. even sooner. Yeah, maybe. So with that, like working for and working with, how would you define working for an artist? Someone just paying you a fee? Yeah, as in I didn't, we didn't reach out to each other. They reached out to me and I might not even know them. So that's gotcha. that for me is a service. I see. Crossing over until that's more so the engineering type of pay structure, like what's concrete. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you also do that with beats too? Yeah. I think a lot of people try to keep that hush, which I mean, the reality is producers send beats to certain people. And then when people reach out to them, that's, it's like, this is the service, you know what I mean? But when, yeah, I do that for beats too. Anyone who wants to get a beat from me, I lay out my prices. I'm like, this is so if you want to own the exclusive lease. And I try to explain it because I'm a true believer in not leaving people blindsided and giving them educated like answers and helping them like really understand what they're getting into so that they don't right. like, oh, you did this to me. So no, I told you everything. But uh, yeah, that's And how would you break out? You don't have to give me like exact numbers. You can use percentages or we'll say like an exclusive. True. I know it's, I wouldn't. I would never recommend someone sell an exclusive for only $100, but just to keep right. the math easy, how would you say if something costs $100 exclusive, should a lease cost? I can tell you ratio of mine. Can I just yeah. say the numbers or? Yeah, if you yeah. feel comfortable. Because it's on these stars, so you can find that out anyways. But sure. Yeah, usually I charge 300 currently for exclusive. Right now I'm in the works of raising that price. But anyways, unlimiteds are 100 for me and leases are 30 the reason for this is because understanding what the purpose of each thing is and why people actually go for that license. Exclusives, it's you have something you want to put out. You want to make sure you secure the ownership because you potential in it. Now, I feel like leases, the other end of the ownership spectrum is I want to do something to this, so I need to license it to be able to at least record to it 
and maybe even go as far as putting it out and seeing if it does numbers before I commit to buying it. I see. Uh, and you said something in between that was unlimited. Yeah. So I find that kind of a hybrid between leases and exclusives. Like you don't gotcha. You don't own the beat, but you don't have to. Re you can release it basically. Basically, but if somebody. Gotcha. This is actually something I was really interested to find out recently is that leases, obviously they expire. If anybody produces or artists who have leased beats, they know that at a certain amount of listens, you have to either re-up or upgrade your license or you got to take it down. Now, unlimited, you can sell them and people will keep them forever even after, say, an exclusive is bought from someone else. They can still use that, but afterwards, no one can buy the exclusive, of course. And I mean, the, the just for people who may be that have listened to the show before that may have a hard time connecting that in between that is also called a non-exclusive license is it yeah Thanks. yeah so that. that means i can sell the same beat to 100 people and they can all put it on spotify with their own lyrics on it oh yeah okay. it's the same thing it's the same thing so it also yeah. depends on who you're talking to so I would say what fascinates me because I don't make hip hop music. I like I listen to lo-fi beats and stuff. I make lo-fi music, but nice. like I am that's just I'm not part of that culture like at all. I appreciate it. I think it's cool. It's just not my skill set. But I've always found it like a an interesting business setup that has just evolved out of I would say most likely something that would have to be done as opposed to most efficient nowadays. So for example, the way that licenses work typically like we're talking about was an exclusive or non-exclusive for me to use it however i want the terms are all however they would be and then if i sell it to you or I sell it to a company or an advertising company to use in a commercial it's all the same it's all the same it's all the same terminology however in hip-hop specifically it's interesting to me how the word producers defined as well as how the word lease or license is defined. It's in its own boat. But here's the thing. If inside the independent hip-hop community, like obviously people in the music industry, if you say these things, they know what you're talking about. But if you were to go from a business-to-business -business standpoint, all of those definitions would change. You know what I'm saying? Of so it's Even in the same industry. Even in the same industry. Even in the same genre. Yeah. So like, it's, for it's example... Amazing. Chance the Rapper goes out and let's say he just, I don't know what, how he gets beats or anything, but let's say, for example, Chance the Rapper gets a non-exclusive beat and then buys an exclusive. Like that same legal process applies when Chance the Rapper gets a Samsung commercial, but lease okay. does not exist. I, I'm actually right. of the mindset that for the majority of artists who are like, in their career already a lease to me in my opinion is usually a waste of money it's oh, great for people right. who like want to give something a shot and they like you said you can always upgrade but what happens right. is like a lot of people that are new that are artists looking to get beats they go oh at least i gotta lease this beat and they think it's like it's like beginner intermediate and expert that kind of like framework and it's not like that and so what happens is i've met so many artists who like pigeonhole themselves where like now they can't get the beat and what makes it difficult is let's say yeti sells me a beat non-exclusive and i've used it, i've released it and let's say now you've got it else wants to buy exclusive of that same beat how do you get that music back for me 
or do you? Or is it really exclusive at that point? It opens up a lot of legal questions. questions. No, you're right. So like I was saying, the unlimited, non-exclusive, we'll just say licenses, you don't. They, If they bought it before the exclusive was purchased, they have the right to use it. They still don't own the beat. But they forever own the right to use it. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that leases are not allowed to be put on streaming platforms. It They're depends on your terms. On... Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It depends on your. I've seen bad leases where it's like bad for. That's the thing. A lot of people will just think they'll try to frame it where they they'll think what's best for them or they'll make the most money. So they'll be like, oh, yeah, I can get a thousand plays. But after that. You can't own it anymore. So well, that helps nobody. You're not even you know? making enough back to re-up from your lease. No, not at all. And then if you're just trying to use a track, there's ways to get beats for free if you're just trying to write music. Like you, people will give you beats. And I just feel like most artists are just putting themselves in a bad position where now they got to go fight for the rights to get the music back later if it is a track that ends up doing well or they can't release it. Or carry the lyrics somewhere else, which I feel like is also a reasonable option once you're left with without yeah, that beat. A replacement. Yeah. You can get a replacement beat. Not oh, the same, uh, but, it's not the same. You're not going to have the same vibe at all on the performance. It's know? better to just try to avoid altogether, which is one of those things I feel like everybody learns early on or hopefully does because it, it's a stressful or painful, hard lesson. You might get a masterpiece pretty much taken away from you, the rights to release it. And now you're just screwed. Yeah, 100%. And I think artists, and this whole channel is geared towards providing, it's usually people who are new, but it doesn't stop there. There's, I learn something new every day, and I've been doing this for a very long time. And yeah. I think that anything you can do, it's like put artists and producers even, and engineers in a better mm -hmm. position where they can do things long-term is super important. Because Absolutely. like on a non-exclusive, an artist goes out and does that well now once the pr producer made the money that's awesome like the producer gets 100 bucks or whatever their rate is for for a non-exclusive beat what if that artist decides they want to put it into television and the production company needs an exclusive license now we have a problem right like so... out, once it travels outside of the hip-hop ecosystem it's done i get what you're so let me get this straight. Are you saying in the situation where they own a non-exclusive license that right. still is on the table for exclusive or someone else has already bought so it? So once it's outside of the creative process, like it's already been released. So for example, in a let's use Samsung commercial again. A Samsung commercial wants to use that song and it's the it's going to a publishing company or a music library. And that music library will have exclusive rights on that track to pitch it to that Samsung commercial where it can't be in other music libraries or other publishing companies. So what happens is that if I've got a non-exclusive beat that I wrapped on, let's say I bought it from you, mm -hmm. dope beat. And then let's say a year from now, I'm getting some streams, right? Because that's part of the non-exclusive terms, which is totally fine. Exactly. And then... I get some traction on that song and it decides to go into a commercial. If other artists have that same beat, then it does not really become ex exclusive at that point if that music library or publishing company demands exclusive rights to pitch the song. Because yeah. now three other artists who have the same beat, which people forget there's a copyright on the music and there's a copyright on the yeah. So you, get you have fuzzy. to own both. 
it gets fuzzy. Yeah. So and I would say any artist out there, the best thing to do if you're thinking long term is just get the beat exclusive or make sure you understand those parameters of those like you could put it on Spotify, but you're not going to make that much money unless you blow up. But you can't bank on that. You can't bank on Spotify giving you four tenths of a penny for you to pay that track or back. Almost. Even. Yeah. See, I think that's really interesting because you're bringing up the idea of Sony or other labels that want to use it for sync placements outside of music. Like I said, like technically you can own the exclusive with other people owning the unlimiteds, but the truth is it's just a turnoff from labels and media companies. Like they don't even want to, they might be able to technically own it by law, but they don't want other people out there with that song and they're rapping on it if they bought it before. So that right. you make a really good point. I feel like, and I've never looked into it, but I'm sure you could reach out to the producer and be like, hey, could you just be straight honest with me? How many people have bought this unlimited like beat? Because other people, leases are going to go after it's purchased, but unlimited, right. non-exclusive, sorry, that stays no, it's out. It's the same, no yeah, what. it's the same. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, yeah. I think that's interesting. Maybe, and I haven't looked into it like that much, but maybe there's a... Internet's a powerful place. You can probably find out by a reverse search. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then the, that's not even getting into easier like content systems that are like YouTube, for example, like content ID. Like, how do you mm. get around that? So if eight artists own the same beat and the YouTube content ID picks it up on all eight because they all released it through DistroKid, for example, who gets yeah. paid? That. Who gets paid for the ads? It's a good question because now it's coming a confusing. If the record label was blindsided, for example, or whatever ad company, and they didn't look into that, now they're like, okay, which one of these people? And it becomes really like a tangled mess. I feel like. Yeah, most people just avoid it. I'll just be honest. Like you were saying, it's a turnoff. That's usually what happens. It is a turnoff. It's already hard enough to get your music considered for these things, but once they figure out there's all these legal issues. They're like, why, why would I bother? I need to turn in something tomorrow. I don't have time to mm. deal with. I got to call like someone's friend and all that. It doesn't work like that. Like it, everything moves so fast when you have a hundred options that like it, it becomes difficult because everyone assumes, and I'm saying not you or I necessarily, I'm saying mm. like artists in general, people who make stuff <clears> in general, they assume like their track is unique. It is because that's like a snowflake, but there are a million other pieces of snowflakes out there in a snowstorm that I can go put in this jar and accomplish the same thing. You know what exactly. I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I get what you're Yeah. Yeah. So not because, you know, not to make snowflake a, a, it's not like a derogatory thing. I'm just, no, I, I, or it's not whatever it is. It's just the product itself isn't enough. It's yeah. got to be certain parameters on the back end of things. Like having the good song, you can find good music anywhere. Yeah. As yeah. hard as it is to accept your song is not any, it's unique to itself, but it's not any more level of unique than a hundred thousand other people. Unique exactly. isn't enough. And I think there's, I saw a stat, it's a million tracks are released, are released, maybe a hundred thousand. It was a huge number every day on Spotify, like yeah. new songs. Like it's not about competition and who's better. It's all about That's like crazy. how you run your business. Yeah. It's all it is. Really about for everybody. You just got to. It's about putting in the work to make your stuff known. It's like, what good is a number one billboard worthy song if you're the only person who's heard it because you haven't put right. in the time to nurture that product? Yeah. I would say nowadays, because it's not, if you think, if people think like an artist thinks, for example, that they're going to get discovered or something, 
that's not really how it works. It used to work like that a long time ago, but that's like a long time ago. And I don't think that's, I think the internet killed that for sure. And it's been that way for at least 15 years. So now it's about if you can't run a, let's say a shoe company, you probably can't run a music company, like your own business. You know what I'm saying? Because I always, always think that it's interesting that a lot of artists have these other, what they would say is a side hustle, but the side hustles are typically relatively successful to do. And it's not always because they're famous or something like they know, like enough business sense to figure it out yeah there's a lot of uh, yeah some of it these side hustles some people from when i was in high school people had side hustles and it was really just word of mouth but to use that analogy the high schoolers but even if you have a big circle of people who are interested in a product like this you don't have to consider your career but like you said it could be something a lot of people are interested in looking into this product i feel like really just goes it ties into word of mouth and how much you're willing to nurture this business the way you do with your product it's it's both yeah it's just like selling t-shirts yeah literally the same thing anyone can get t-shirts anywhere i chose this t-shirt for a specific reason the marketing was great you saw it It was visible it was visible i can get the same color and the same type of t-shirt from a million places but like i chose that one company specifically because of the marketing and i knew the quality was good when you go in blind and it's really the same thing with music. Yeah, and it's funny you say that because I'm wearing the merch right now. That was such a sneaky way to plug the merch. But you can buy be, but you can buy beanies anywhere. This is obviously it's high quality fabric, but there's nothing different from this one and others besides this is someone they're trying to support as a business owner. If they wanted the beanie right. per se, just it's the logo, it's the brand, it's the person behind it, which I think people are paying for more than more, most of the time. It's being part of a being a part of it. Yeah. Speaking of business, being a producer and engineer and being in this space, is it could be, if some people call it a hobby, it could be a very expensive hobby. It's also a very expensive career. You have a lot of expenses for your time, your money, gear, software. You know how hard it is? Like, I'm sure everyone knows. I know you do. It's, oh, yo, Sweetwater Guitar Center is having a Black Friday sale. This is 80% off. And you're just like, yo, I need that. But you really don't. Yeah. Like that's, that, that's I how think it goes. everybody goes to that. You being an engineer and a producer, I feel like you would have a cool, unique like perspective on the like the being able to be efficient, not just with your time, but also within your budget. Uh, absolutely. That's yeah. I think that's a lot, a lot of important things to discuss there. So obviously when everybody starts, they don't really have a whole lot. They have to figure it out and start upgrading and investing into their equipment. When I started off, I was just like anybody else where I'm like, oh, I need this and this. And until then, I'm not going to have this level of quality. And it's like now that I have the equipment, I'm like, I don't need any of this stuff. If this all, God forbid, fell apart tomorrow, I'd be fine with just a miniature piano and a laptop and a set of cheap headset. It's funny how it reverses. You learn what's important is up here. It's the driver, not the seat they're sitting in. No, I completely agree. And it can be, I know for me, there's, so there's two types of people I found, I found, I'm not going to call this specific person out, obviously, but I talk to this person regularly and we're always talking about gear and they're from the mindset of, I need a tool to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, dude, you have every tool. The tool is not going to make you better. You need to learn the tool that you have because you don't know, but maybe 20% of your tool. And that's why you're not getting done the things you need to get done. But for me, it's more of a compulsion. 
I'm like, yo, I want that sound. Oh, I want the, absolutely. the, that's how it is with me. I'm not trying to solve problems at this point. And I, it's more of wouldn't that sound cool when I have a bajillion other presets and sounds and samples that, that, that I haven't even like, thing. well, I haven't even looked at them or listened to them. No, absolutely. I have the gold, the waves bundle, the gold one. I probably oh, use so 15%. Much. I probably use 15% yeah. of those and they get me by just fine, man. Yeah. They're it's sometimes it could be overwhelming when you have too much to use but, I, but speaking like i'll find if i'm not paying attention like i'll go plugins instruments presets and that'll be like i'll be hours in to the session when i'm working <laughs> on my own stuff and i will have gotten done nothing yeah and i remember this is like before things like splice i helped this artist out setting up their home studio and they had like these gigantic sample libraries where it's just wave files and it was not organized. It was like kick drums and snares and bass hits, all kinds of stuff. Not all organized over the place. whatsoever. Not at all. And I had a thousand kick drums and I was so like, oh my gosh, I have so many options. I was, uh -huh. I was more excited about the quantity of things that I had to use. But at the same time, I think I spent more time trying to organize that stuff than, than like actually use, I don't think I used one, any of it in one track yeah the pain and the stress of trying to sort through it while keeping a, a level head i think would be it, it i would quit after a certain amount of time i'd probably put it down yeah. pretty quick it's i'm def i would definitely say this i know a lot of producers and artists are like this for sure a di digital hoarder we're just like hoarding everything <laughs> don't even like, get me started yeah back for the same project from each month yeah I, there's some use to that mentality like if you're doing vocal yeah. comps like cool but at a certain point you're like all right, 50s, that's too many. We're going to do 10. I don't have time to go. It's going to take me longer to edit this, and it's gonna. I can have wrote, written like 10 more songs. Yeah, it's like the analysis paralysis. I, I talked to, I use a life coach for talking through, a lot of it's for talking through some of my music business, and that's the phrase he uses is analysis paralysis. You I get stuck it. on doing something so organized that you end up not doing anything at all. Yeah, no, I'm totally guilty of that. That's yeah. totally me. And then after it's over, I go, can't be doing that anymore. Um, Learn. But uh, speaking of time, do you feel like being a producer and engineer that you are able to work faster? Or do you feel like sometimes it would be easier for you to outsource stuff to get something done? Like, where do you fall in that like mindset? And technically, yeah. If you're only doing one of those jobs, it's going to take less time, but that's for you, not the overall, not going to, it's not going to reduce time on the project. It's just going to split it up more. And if you're capable, the more you can do yourself, the more time you're spreading yourself thin. Yeah. But the more percentage you're entitled to is at the same time, which I think is a leverage point. If you have control over that, if you can choose whether or not you want to do both, that's an amazing leverage point. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think at a certain point, it's like a good problem to have where you, if you, let's say you're a producer and you've got like a line of 30 people waiting to work with you, then it's now you probably should be outsourcing some of this, yeah. not the creative side, but maybe like the mixing and mastering. Yeah, I would agree. I think, and you can even see it in people who are very busy, like bigger artists, even, or producers, their responses even say it all. It tells you exactly how many people they have and they're not screwing around. Yeah. If you're not ready to pay me right now, I've got 30 other people who are serious, who are ready to take my work serious and respect my time. So what's the word? So 
I think when you can when you can respect and honor your own time to that extent, prioritize, okay, I got this number of people who want to record. Let me group that here. You start taking all your time screwing around in DMs more seriously. That's all paying clients come first. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeti, this has been a very fun conversation. I really appreciate it. It was awesome getting to know a little bit about like how you process music and your approach. And I think it's cool because I love talking to people that make music because everybody's so different. And every time I hear an artist talk about their process or producer or engineer, I always learn something new. I go, oh yeah, okay, that's cool. It's great. I love it. Me too. Yeah, absolutely, man. Before we go, where can people find you online? Where can they connect with you? Yeah, so I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm the most active on Instagram. So if you want to reach me, all my social medias is at P-R-O-D-Y-E-T-I, just Pryeti. And I'm very responsive to DMs. Just shoot me a message. I'm very outgoing, easy to approach. Yeah, absolutely. And Yeti's got the the chill, like cold emoji yeah. at the yeah. end. You can't miss it. It's great. It, it's easy it's to great. see in DMs too. <laughs> yeah. We can I could dude, I can go on a whole nother hour like rant on like producers and branding, but we'll have to talk about that on another episode because I think you have great branding for a producer. And I think a lot of people miss out on that. So we'll save that conversation for another time. But I just want to say thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. And check out Yeti online. Check him out. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you want to work with him, hit him up on Instagram. He's a super cool guy. And check out his music. Thank you so much, Blake. All right, right, man. I'll talk to you again. Anytime. Sure. Have a great day. You too. Peace. Yo, thank you so much for checking out this episode. I really hope that you do check out Yeti's music. He's got some really cool stuff online and you're going to love it. I really think so. Anyways, if you would like to be on the podcast yourself, you can go to my website, musicadvice.io, where you can sign up, join my discord server. And then when I go live, sometimes I do have a live link where you can join me and do live call-ins, which is pretty fun. If you're watching this on a platform that does have a like, a review, or anything like that, please go ahead and do that so that way I can hopefully get the positivity of being a music maker and sending up a business out to more people. That's really what this is. As always, my name is Blake. This is Blake Makes Music. Make music every day. Peace. This podcast is brought to you by Patreon. All of the stuff from Blake Makes Music is absolutely 100% free, except for the Patreon. But what is Patreon? Patreon is a way for people to connect with their favorite creators in a cool, unique way. You can get some cool, unique perks and benefits to your favorite creators online. The Blake Makes Music podcast uses Patreon to connect with those who may need a little extra help with their music career. Join the music club on Patreon. You'll get some exciting benefits like a personal phone call from yours truly, start guides, cheat sheets, music industry contacts, music feedback, resume writing help, weekly Zoom sessions. You can even influence what kind of stuff is talked about on the show. Curious to what else I can help you with on your music career? Check out the Blake Makes Music Patreon by visiting musicadvice.io.